Let's uh, begin our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose, If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty." which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you still a more excellent way. Not long after I became a Christian and started learning more through mostly sermons and, and Sunday school lessons at church and stuff, but also beginning to read a little bit on, on the subject and, and spending a lot more time in my Bible, I became curious about spiritual gifts. I read a few books of these different authors trying to figure out what the deal was with spiritual gifts. And a couple of the books that I read kind of point into a, like a, what they would call a second blessing. The Bible teaches when you're saved, you're baptized into Christ Jesus. 
Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The book of Romans chapter 8 focuses on some of that. It says that we have the Spirit of God when we've trusted in Christ. And if we don't have the Spirit of God, then we don't belong to Him. In other words, we haven't come to that point of faith in Christ. And so there is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. But at the same time, I came across these people that said, along with that, there's also like a kind of a second blessing. That you can get to this point in your spiritual life and ask God for this gift where He kind of gives you this amazing power where you'll start to see people coming to Christ and you'll start to, uh, through your witnessing, and, and you'll start to see supernatural things happening in your life. And, and so I did some reading. I heard somebody talk about that in a sermon. And so I bought a couple books and started doing some reading from authors that that guy had kind of directed me to. And I remember asking my pastor some of the same questions. And actually, I kind of wanted it to be true. I thought, how cool would that be if you can just get to some point in your spiritual life where God just kind of floods His power into you and then you're seeing all these amazing things happen around you and that would be pretty awesome. But I was having some real problem getting to that point. And you know what the problem was? Is When I'd read through these books and they would quote Scripture passages, I'd look up the Scripture passages and I, I wasn't convinced that they supported what they were what it was talking about. But my questions remain, well, what is, what is the kind of the nuts and bolts of these idea of spiritual giftedness and, and this spirituality and living out before God? And, and you know what? That's, that seems to be kind of right where the Corinthians are. Well, if you'll remember back, there's, the Corinthian letter can be kind of directed into different categories. The Apostle Paul addressing things that he had heard about them from people within their midst and other people. And then uh, there's also came into this section where he starts answering their questions that they'd sent him. And that's the section that we're in now. So in other words, the Corinthian people were having some of the same confusion. They were curious about spiritual gifts. I don't know what all the questions they asked the Apostle were about spiritual gifts, but apparently they had asked him about the spiritual gifts and they wanted to know more about it. Now, they were in a society that would have been very confusing. They were in a society where there was a lot of mystery religions we refer to them as and pagan gods that were being worshipped. And a lot of those things kind of focused on ecstatic experiences. You know, it's kind of like when I was in high school, they showed us a video on transcendentalism. And it showed how in Hinduism, you know, you're not really, like in our faith, when we come, we're trying to learn truth. We're trying to gain knowledge, wisdom, apply it to our lives, learn more about God, about ourselves, about the world that we live in. Hinduism, Buddhism, different things like that, very much the opposite. Right In Buddhism, it's not about learning about the context that you're in. It's about finding release from it. Hinduism, kind of same kind of thing. Scriptural idea of meditation is fill your mind with thoughts about God. Control your thoughts. Hindu concept of meditation is empty your mind of all thoughts. They can actually kind of work themselves into an emotional trance where their body convulses and they can lose consciousness and, and experience all these weird things. That kind of stuff is what the temples around Corinth, they, they, they pursued ecstasy through different things. Their concept of spirituality was these ecstatic experiences. Our understanding of spirituality in the, in the Bible is spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, becoming more and more like Christ. And so the Corinthian people are going to focus on spirituality that's kind of this focusing on these experiences and those kind of things to what spiritual gifts are really all about. And so the Apostle Paul's got his work cut out for him, helping those people understand and to, and to make that change. One thing that we've noticed from the Corinthian letter is that they had a hard time leaving their past behind. 
Well, the Corinthian people had their questions about spiritual gifts, just as I did when I was a new believer, probably just as you did, or maybe just as you do. And the Apostle Paul uses that opportunity. First Corinthians chapter 12 kind of breaks down into two prominent themes that the Apostle Paul uses to teach them about spiritual gifts. The first of the themes that we see is that there is one God, many gifts. Now notice he starts off in dealing with them. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. The first thing he does is brings up their background. The reason that he's doing that, I think, is twofold. Because he's going to focus on two different things here. He's going to focus on oneness and his activity. He talks about them being led astray to these mute idols, many of them, plural. And so they're following these different gods. And and this is different because God is one God. He's a triune God. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. So no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So you see him reference God, which would be the Father, the Spirit, which would be the Holy Spirit, and Lord, who would be Jesus Christ. And then he flips that around and does it again because he says in verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so our understanding of spiritual gifts is rooted in our understanding of the Trinity, the person, and the nature of God. Now, they have two problems here, I think, that he's trying to confront. One of them is they're used to many gods, and now it's all just one. In fact, he recognized this with them before. If you look back at chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians Verses 4 through 6, he says, Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Well, in the pagan mindset, there's often multiple gods. It's kind of the idea if you, uh, if you have, a, have a problem with, if you're worried about something happening in this one realm, then you kind of go to the god that has to deal with that realm. right? There's different gods for harvesting good crops and different gods for um, family life and different gods for all these different things. And they need to shred that kind of thinking. You know, there's something within people that that seems to be an easy way to, for Satan to delude us, to try to point us in those other directions. You know, in Hinduism, they've got over a million gods for all these different things. They offer up different things to different ones so that they don't wreak havoc in their life in bad ways in different areas of their life. But you know what? Even Christianity has been hit by it a little bit when you look back through time. Christianity, large Christianity, the idea. Look at the idea of like patron saints. If you read the Bible, the word saint is used for everybody that's a, a believer in Jesus Christ, not some super Christian that's a, accomplished a certain level or anything like that. In the Dark Ages, they came up with these patron saints. They have a saint for different things. And right at first, it started out being uh, as churches began to start building buildings to worship in, and they would often build a building over the site of a grave of, of somebody that they considered to be a, a saint or a really strong Christian. So then maybe that saint's kind of watching out over there, the patron saint of that church or the patron saint of that area. Then it also uh, delved into like areas like for 
For example, Matthew. Remember what Matthew was? He was a tax collector. Right? Well, Matthew has got labeled the patron saint of accountants. Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, he is the patron saint of carpenters. It was kind of interesting in more current events. In 2020, there was a, a 15-year-old video gamer that died of leukemia in Italy, and he has been more recently labeled a patron saint uh, by, by the Catholic Church. He's the patron saint of the Internet now, apparently. The, all that kind of thinking has pagan roots. In the Bible, we have, we have God. That's what we have. And we don't really need, we don't need to put anybody else between us and God. There's only one mediator between us and God. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Kind of the idea is that those guys, because they did so good in their life, they've got the ear of God maybe better than you do, better than your friends do. So who better to get to pray for you than one of those guys? You know, we just, we just don't need that. It's just, it's just not a thing. Scripturally, I remember a comedian Brad Stein pointing out, he says, you know, people criticize the Catholics because they see Mary and everything. He says, yeah, but you know, there's Christians that see the devil and everything. And he's right. I know people that they, they label it, boy, there's the demon of depression and the demon of I lost my job or the demon of whatever, you know. And it's like, how do you know there's such a thing? You have no authority for that. And you know what? You don't even need that. You're getting sidetracked if that's the focus. You know what we need? The Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what we need. We need God the Father who sacrificed His Son to be our Savior and who sent His Spirit into our hearts by which we cry, Abba, Father, and that's what we need. And you know, that's exactly who gifted us. That's who's in charge of all the gifts that that He's given to us. The pagan world chases after other things. The Apostle Paul says, let's recognize something. Everything that we get, all these gifts that we're endowed with and everything, comes from one place. It comes from God. Our Father. It comes through Jesus Christ. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That needs to be the focus. This is a manifestation of the Spirit. This is done according to God's will, not ours. And so we need to recognize that it's Him accomplishing this in us. In fact, all through the passage, it kind of warns us, don't go trying to get certain gifts. It's not supposed to be done according to your will. It's supposed to be done according to God's will. Notice in verse 11, it says, All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And then also, he kind of restates the same thing in verse 18. He says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. Verse 24, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so God is the composer of the body. And then in verse 28, it says, God has appointed in the church, first of all, apostles, and then he goes through this list of gifts. And so the point is clear throughout all the Scripture that, look, it's, it's God that gives you the gift that God gives you. And he does it according to his will, not your own will. There's one God, but yet he gives many gifts. And in that first part of the passage, up to about verse 11, it's like the Spirit gives this, and the Spirit does this, and the Spirit does this, and he starts listing all these gifts. In fact, let's just kind of go through them rather quickly here. Um, let's skip down to verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Now, one of the things that you notice about these gifts is these gifts primarily uh, are gifts that kind of everybody has to a certain level, but some people just kind of get more, right? Some people it's enhanced. In other words, everybody participates in knowledge. 
But some people really got a grasp on that situation, on, on knowledge. So everybody is called to pursue wisdom and use wisdom in making decisions in their life. In fact, these two things kind of go together. Well, knowledge is an accumulation of facts. Wisdom is how to practically make that work in your life. And so, but some people are going to have, uh, be really wise and their advice sought after. Um, but then he goes on from there. Um, verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, obviously, we all have to have saving faith. We have to have faith to be able to come to Christ, to receive the forgiveness of our sins. But some people can just really stand in there in tough times. Some people really have a strong faith. Um, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And so the first part of the focus, or the first theme is, look, there's one God giving out many gifts. The fact that there's many gifts doesn't mean there's more than one God. The fact that there's many gifts doesn't mean there's a variety up here. There's a unity with a variety coming out from them. Even within God Himself, we see unity and variety. We see the three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but yet the unity of the Godhead. Behold, our God is one. And so, that's the first theme. Then, the second theme, which is making largely the same point, he shifts from dealing with the one God distributing a variety of gifts to the one body having many members. Then he goes on in this part of the passage to deal with these many members. There's one body, it's the church. But we got a lot of different parts of that body, a lot of members within that body, and the members are diverse. And so he just compares it to a body. And he says, look, are all the parts of the body the same? No. We have parts of our body that are eyes that we see with, and we have parts of our body that are ears that we hear with, and we have parts of our body that are hands that we do things with, and parts of our body that are our feet that we walk with. And our body is very diverse, but very unified. In fact, you could not have that kind of unity without the diversity. Verse 12 kind of summarizes the whole last part of the, of the chapter. It says, For just as the body is one, has many members, all the members of the one body, though many are one body. And so he's like, the body's one, but lots of people in it. But it's just one. <laughs> so, and that's really the summary of the whole thing. What parts of the body does it need? All of them. It needs all of them. And then he goes into another list of gifts where some of them are repeated and some of them are the same. Some of the gifts were for the time of the apostles. The time of the apostles was an amazing time. It was a time where God was giving His new revelation. The New Testament was being written, which is the teaching of the apostles. And so miracles were a way that God confirmed. In fact, that's what we often refer to these gifts as, as confirming gifts. These were gifts that confirmed that what was happening within the church, what was happening as the apostles were laying the foundation of the church, was from God. It's nothing new in the Bible. We see it, we see it in many other time periods. You know, if you read through the Bible, you often maybe get the idea that miracles were commonplace. So why don't we have them today? It's not true. Miracles were not commonplace. In fact, if you recognize the timeline of the Bible, you'll recognize that most of the miracles take place within about four different time periods, each of those time periods being roughly 40 years. In the time of Moses, when Moses is giving the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the law to the, to the Jewish nation, there were a lot of miracles that happened under Moses. 
Why were the miracles happening under Moses? That's how God showed that Moses was his man. And that's how God showed that what was coming from Moses was coming from God. And then there's also the time of Elijah and Elisha. Strong prophets of God giving new revelation. The time of Daniel. And then you get to the time of Christ and the apostles. And it's a miraculous time. Amazing things are happening. You know, in the Gospel of John, he refers to them over and over as signs. The main reason, the main purpose of the miracles that Jesus Christ performed were they were signs. They showed him to be who he said he was, which is the Son of God. That was the proof. And John, at the end, toward the end of his gospel, says, look, if you wanted more signs, there's lots of signs. There's a lot more things that Jesus did that I haven't recorded, but I've recorded enough of them so that you would have enough to believe. So those miracles, those miraculous things were signs. You know, Hebrews in chapter 2 It says this, How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit Spirit distributed according to His will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, it also refers to the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Mighty wonders, it says, miracles. These signs, these were the signs of an apostle and and extended to the ministry closely connected to him. But those were the signs of God's stamp of approval on him. And so that's why some of the things that we see, they had a temporary purpose as the foundation of the church was getting established and then they faded out. And that's why when you look back in like the book of Acts, which is a transitional book, bringing us from the Old Testament into the New Testament, you see things like healings taking place and stuff surrounding the apostles. Oh, not today. Now, there are some who would disagree with me on that, but I would beg to differ loudly. If they're, if they're all over the place or if they're still happening today, then where have they been during the pandemic? Because we could have used them. And not only that, but when I see some of these healing shows, people saying, oh, there's somebody out there somewhere that's experiencing cancer. Well, no kidding. And you're going to get a healing today. How can we confirm that? How can we know that's true? You know, I remember doing a little bit of reading on that subject a while back, and they said, you know, most of the things that people are actually brought up front of people for healing on are psychosomatic things that you can't really prove or disprove one way or the other. Now, don't get me wrong. I in no way am saying that God cannot or does not heal. God is free to do whatever God wants to do. That's part of being God. And He may just do that. And I think sometimes He does bring healing. Otherwise, why would I be praying for it every week and, and daily for, for people and individuals and situations? I believe that He can and does do that. I don't believe in healers. If there was, I would like to see them the same way that Jesus and the apostles were. You know, when Jesus healed a crippled person, He didn't go to therapy. He turned from a cripple that had been sitting by a gate for 40 years into somebody that could jump all over the place. That's an amazing transformation. You know, people would get healed and stand up and pick up their stuff and go home if Peter's shadow crossed them at different times. But what happened then? Those were for a time. Those were to establish the authority of the apostles and the foundation of the church. And that's temporary. It fades out. And you know what? Part of the reason we know that we fades out is we get to see it fade out. A little later on in the Apostle Paul's ministry, he doesn't seem to be healing anymore. Right? Even, even within his lifetime, it looks like it 
must have kind of faded out. Why? Because we see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 23, he tells Timothy this. He says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Why didn't he just heal him? Why is he telling him to take some medicine? He also says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, he talks about Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Notice, these are cohorts of the Apostle Paul, guys that are working alongside of him. And the Apostle Paul said, I had to leave one of them behind because he was sick. You know, early in the book of Acts, where you're seeing that transition time, you see people get healed and stuff like that. Later in the New Testament, you know what you see? Pray for them. You see that kind of thing. No longer this so much a healer. And so you see that these, these gifts, which are many, are not quite as many during our time. Now, it's also interesting if you look at the list of gifts that they vary, right? The, the gifts that he lists earlier in this chapter vary a little bit from the gifts that are listed later in the chapter where he deals with actual gifts to the church of you know, apostles, prophets, and teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 deals with uh, apostles, prophets, teachers. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, their lists are different. Peter lists gifts a little bit. His lists are a little bit different also. Why? I think that they differ because the gift isn't what's the focus. I'm not saying gifts aren't uh, important. They're important, but they're not to be the focus. The gift is something that you use in order to do something. You know, it's kind of like I think of my construction part of the things that I do. Um, I have a lot of tools. Uh, The tools are not the focus. You take the tools to do what you got to do to make something happen. That is the focus. The project is the focus. The job is the focus. The tools are just what's necessary to accomplish the job. That's what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts were never intended for us to focus on them. Because when we focus on them, we start comparing ourselves one amongst each other and, and who's more important and which is a more important gift. And that's exactly what the Corinthians ended up doing. The fact that the lists vary would indicate to us that God is not trying to give us a comprehensive list of all the gifts, but He's talking about as He enables us to use gifts that He gives us just that we would, that we would dive in. That we would use them for other people's good. In fact, that's really what the focus is. Notice verse 7. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's why you are gifted. You're not gifted for you. You're gifted for everybody that's around you. You're gifted because God wants you to have this part in this group of people so that you can be a blessing and the church as a whole grows. Grows in our understanding, grows in our experience, grows in our even in our numbers. And so there's two applications that I think are inherent in this passage. The two applications are, first of all, this one, seek unity, not uniformity. Uniformity was, would be we all have to be exactly the same. He says there's a unity within God, but a a diversity, a variety within the gifts that God gives. And so we should expect to see that within our church, we should expect to see a unity of purpose, but a variety of gifts to accomplish that same purpose. He has all those rhetorical questions toward the end. Is, Is everybody this? Is everybody that? Does everybody have this gift? Does everybody speak in tongues? Does everybody do? And the obvious answer to all those is no. And everybody doesn't. Do those. Yet, 
you'll find that within some groups within Christianity today, they'll be like, well, if you haven't spoken tongues, then that, that's the sign of your salvation. And so you, we've got to question your salvation. Nobody, no, there is no gift that everybody is supposed to do. We need to seek unity, not uniformity. We're not, we're not all the same. There's a variety of gifts. And you, you know, for, for a while, I remember after I'd been a Christian for a while, there kind of came this popular thing around I would say even maybe a little bit faddish about spiritual gifts. And it was all this, this curriculum that you could go through to identify your spiritual gift. What is, what is my spiritual gift? And you know what it tended towards? And I'm not saying it didn't have some good because it got people thinking about, hey, I have a gift. I should use it. I think it also came with some confusion. I don't know what my gift is. And not everybody, the, the curriculum didn't fix it for everybody either. But you know what it tends to do is it tends to start looking like, you know what, if I know what my gift is and fulfill that gift, I'm going to feel satisfied. I'm going to... Now, not that you're not going to feel satisfied because if you put your gift to work, you will feel satisfied. But it's not the purpose of the gift. You know when you're satisfied? When you lose yourself in serving others. That's when you're fulfilled. When you seek self-fulfillment, you will not find it. It will elude you. And people can even use this whole concept of finding my gift and achieving this as another way of finding self-fulfillment. It will elude you. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're seeking a unity. We're, we're reaching out to other people around us and, and ministering to other people. Now, you know what? If you're stressed about what is my gift, let me set your mind at ease a little bit. You're probably already using it. Right? Because we tend to gravitate toward what our gifts are. Now, I'm not saying that God's not going to stretch you sometime. You know, He might stretch you and burden you toward teaching a Sunday school class or doing something that's, oh, I don't know if I have that gift. Well, there's one way to find out. Let's get you in there. Right? You know what another thing is? Is you might have multiple gifts. And you might be somebody that one gift stands out really strong. Or you might be somebody that has multiple gifts. You're good at a lot of things. But no one in particular stands out. I think of my wife, Lisa's that way. She says, I don't know what my gift is. I think, well, I can think of a lot of them. Good at a lot of different things. And look at what some of those gifts are. Helps. Just jump in and help. Uh, administration. Organizing things. There are things that people don't always think of as gifts. But the fact of the matter is, you might be musing, you know what, here's the better way. In fact, that's... Look at what he says right at the end of the passage. He spends all of chapter 12 on gifts, and he's going to revisit that in chapter 14, so it's not that it's not important. But he says, you know what? Can I show you a better way? And you know what chapter 13 is about. Everybody knows what chapter 13 is about. Love. He says, let me show you a better way. Rather than focusing on your gift, focus on love. You will use your gift to love other people. You just will but love other people. So we need to seek unity and not uniformity. And lastly, we need to seek to serve and not to impress. We need to seek to serve other people in love, not impress anybody. But you know what? Focusing on our gifts is exactly what we do as we end up trying to impress. You know, notice back in, remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 6 and 7, when he's like thanking God for the church, 
uh, at, at Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's quite a statement. He tells the Corinthian church, you are not lacking in any gifted, in any giftedness. This church has got the gifts going on. You're not lacking a thing. But you know what? The next thing that he talks about? Division. Why? Because some people are saying, I follow Paul. Other people are saying, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, which is Peter. I follow Christ. Divisions are terribly divided. Here's a church that's very gifted with spiritual gifts, but they're taking one another to court, we find in chapter 6. A, a, a church is very gifted, but they're tolerating uh, incest and adultery within the church. A church is very gifted, but they're drifting back into sexual immorality in their private lives. They're trampling their marriages in chapters 7 and 8. They're misusing the Lord's Supper to the point where God has to punish them for it, by even by death in some cases, up into chapter 11. It's, you see what I'm talking about? They tended to focus on the gifts. And if you're going to focus on the gifts, you know which ones you're going to focus on? The showy ones. Right? The, the outwardly showy ones is what you focus on. Still the same today. The ones like tongues, static speech, which I don't think that's even what tongues is. We'll talk about that later. But, and so they were, they were doing what it says in this passage. Can the eye say, hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Is there a gift that's really greater than the others? And he says, you know what, there are some that are more practical, apostles, prophets, and they build the foundation of the church. He says, let's seek the practical things, but let me show you a better way. Love each other. That's the better way. You see, giftedness needs to be an important... That's how our church functions. People using their gifts. But it can't become our focus. If it becomes our focus, our focus needs to be the glory of God and the people around us serving them out of love. That needs to be our focus. The gifts, we'll exercise our gifts as we strive to reach out and meet needs that we see and love one another. We will use our gifts just even naturally. And they're important that we have them, but they cannot become our focus. In the Corinthian church, they became the focus. And in focusing there, they ended up doing a lot of damage within their, within their church. You know, Galatians chapter 5, points out what the Apostle calls the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know what? If you read through that list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's pretty much the opposite of what you found, what we've found the, first, the church at Corinth experiencing. They weren't experiencing those fruits of the Holy Spirit. They were very gifted. They had talents. They had abilities. But they weren't experiencing the things that really... Well, they're the things that the gifts are there for to enhance our experience of those things. And that's what the Apostle Paul is pointing out. You know what? There's something more important than the gifts 
and that is the fruits. And that's where we need to find our focus.